I brought along with me something of a bit of show and tell. I brought along my Citibank MasterCard. When I was in college, I got this card because they had a table set up at a program and ministries fair at the college I attended. The Republicans were out, the tree huggers, I mean, all these different groups. And there was a table with Citibank. And if you opened up a Citibank credit card, you got like a free tote. At the time, I had a $500 credit limit. And I would use my Citibank card to buy gas. I would put gas in my 1973 Dodge Polara, my 26-gallon tank Dodge Polara at $1.29 a gallon. And uh, I would pay that bill in full every month. Later in life, I would almost max out the credit of that particular card. And the funny thing is, because I had good credit, Citibank would only charge me only charge me 13.99% interest. I got a great rate. If I turned around and put the money that I had owed on deposit in their bank, they today they would only pay me 00.25% interest, okay? On money that they got from the Federal Reserve at 0%, okay? Credit card companies like Citibank are not out to help you and help me. They're out to help themselves. They're financial predators. In one year alone, Bank of America spent $62 million in order to gain 38,000 new accounts from college students. Do you know why Bank of America would spend $1,600 a student? Because they know what's going to happen next. And in order to spell out what happens next, typically, I want to talk about the stereotypical young couple. As a pastor, I get to perform the marriage ceremonies for a lot of young couples. They're in love. They're googly-eyed. And you know what? These days, they're in debt. So allow me to talk about a stereotypical couple. And I'll call this couple Derek. Derek. Let's start off with Derek. Derek went to college and while he was attending the University of Kentucky, like me, he opened up a Citibank MasterCard. And there were things that he did, a spring break trip, this and that, some books one semester. And by the end of his senior year, Derek had amassed $6,500 in credit card debt. But that was okay with Derek because you know what? He was going to get a good job after college. And once he was out, he would pay that off quickly. Derek also graduated with $28,000 in student loans. But good news for Derek, he got lucky. When he got out, Central Baptist Hospital hired him to do patient intake and offered him $35,000 a year. Bam! What a great job. Problem is, Derek loved the outdoors. He was a hiker and a and a kayaker. He loved going to the Red River Gorge. All he owned was a pair of Chacos. And he also had a man bun. So he had to change his wardrobe, as they say in the South, right quick. So he went out and he dropped $2,500 at the mall. Because you know what? Dockers never go on sale. And then he realized he needed a re reliable uh, set of wheels to get him from Nicholasville all the way into Central Baptist. So he went down to the auto superstore and he found a great little car, a, a used Toyota Corolla, and it was only $13,000.
down and he found a $13,000 car and the, the salesman was like, you know, so you got cash? And he goes, oh, I don't have any cash. But the salesman said, well, I'll be right back. So he goes into the back and disappears to talk to his manager. And he comes back and he tells Derek, look, I've got good news. We looked up your credit. How does $300 a month sound? And Derek was like, oh, I, I can afford that. That sounds good. And so they put Derek into that car for $300 a month for, for 60 months or five years. Those of you that are good at math are now figuring out that Derek is going to pay $18,000 for this $13,000 car. But he was like, no problem, I'll probably pay it off early. It's no big deal. So as he's working at Central Baptist, his sister-in-law, who also works at Central Baptist, says, I know this girl, okay? I know you're not dating right now, but I know this girl. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, her name is Courtney, and I'm... You, ju- you just have to meet her, okay, Derek? You just have to meet her. And he's, oh, no, not. And oh, he refused, he refused. But she succeeds in getting them out on a date. And they go out on their first date, and it's going okay. And then they both reach for the bill, and their hands touch. Pow! The lightning bolt is jiggling down his body, and he's like, what? Okay? And they just fall into love, like, oh, <laughs> fall into love. And six months later, they get married. So if we could put up Courtney here, the next, next picture. Courtney, come on. They look like they were, now Courtney did much better than Derek in college. She, she had $1,500 in a Discover card account, and she only borrowed $10,000 through college. Her parents were able to help her more than Derek's parents were, however that worked out. And so they end up getting married. He proposes after they had been dating six months. Uh, he bought a $1,000 engagement ring. He went to Jared's, which they financed for 24 months. Um, and so then they, uh, on their wedding day, which her family was from Campbellsville, his family was from West Virginia, and they were like, oh, what are we going to do? And so they decided to to rent out one of the local wineries, which love doing weddings. And so they did that, and uh, they actually got $2,000 in cash. Courtney counted it on the way to the airport that people had left at the gift table. And they were like, we are so using this on the honeymoon. And they did, and they were so proud of themselves because they didn't charge the snorkeling adventure they went on, some of the clothes that they bought, and the evenings out, and they felt really good. It paid for everything except the airfare and hotel, which they also put on Derek's Citibank card. So on the first day they got back from their wedding and their honeymoon, Derek and Courtney were in debt $65,839. This is a typical story in America, okay? She gets pregnant a couple of times. They buy their first house over the next 10 years a water heater, a new car, some other things later, by the age 35, they're bankrupt. I don't want this for you. I want you to be on a better trajectory, which is why I'm going to talk about what I'm going to talk about today, okay? Here's the spiritual principle. Debt and freedom move in opposite directions. Debt and freedom move in opposite directions. In other words, the more debt you have, the less free you become, the less debt you have, the more free you become. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, don't ever get into any kind of debt. 
In America today, I don't think you can necessarily avoid it. But I am going to tell you, be smart, be wise, avoid debt, and then pay off the debt that you have as quickly as you can. All right? And here's the bottom line in case you don't pick it up. Debt kills freedom. Lots of debt, little freedom. You want it the other way around. You want little debt, lots of freedom. It's a better way to live. So avoid debt, and if you're in debt, pay it off so that you can be free to do the stuff that God wants you to do and that you want to do in life. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. And I'm going to draw out this spiritual principle, all right? And when I say draw it out, I'm saying that the Bible teaches it. And because the Bible teaches it, it's true. And because it's true, it represents how life works. This is just how things are. So today, I'm, part of what I'm going to say to you is just, hey, this is how life works. This is how things are, okay? So Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, and it says this, and they'll put it on the big screen. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender, all right? This proverb is talking about freedom and power. Only the rich have access to that kind of power. Only the rich call the shots. There's no question in this proverb who has the power. Rich people do. Lenders do. Lenders are king. Borrowers are servants to lenders. This is just how life works. It doesn't matter if you're an individual, if you're a family, if you're a community, or if you're a nation. And in order to draw this out, I want to tell you about a little something that happened in history, because I'm a history geek. In 1956, France, Britain, and Israel teamed up and invaded Egypt. I know, how wacky is that? Well, what happened is in 1951, 1952, the people of Egypt were like, we're sick of London telling us what to do. Does this sound familiar? Americans? We're sick of London telling us what to do. We don't want somebody all the way over in England bossing us around. We want to decide our own stuff in our own country. So they kicked out the British uh, colonial type backed government that was in place in Egypt, and they were trying to install their own government. Well, this panicked Britain and France, who also had colonies in the area at the time, and Israel, who was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen if all these Arabs kick the British out. Like, what's going to happen to us? So they all teamed together and decided, let's invade Egypt. And they did. And it was going really, really well until Dwight Eisenhower decided that it would destabilize the region. Dwight Eisenhower was the president of the United States in 1956. And there's a very important fact at that moment in history Great Britain owed us a ton of money. We lent them money to build tanks and planes and bombs, and then we lent them a ton of money to rebuild London and England after World War II. In fact, the British government didn't pay off that debt until, get this, 2007. That's when Great Britain made its last payment to the United States of America for World War II. Hey, could you lend a brother a dime? (laughs) borrowing. So Dwight Eisenhower called, and I want to get his name right because he was only prime minister for three years. Uh, Eisenhower called, what was his name? Ah, prime minister, British prime minister, Anthony Eden. And this is what Eisenhower said. Mr. Prime Minister, 
Here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow morning, you're going to tell all your little army guys to pack up their little guns and get in their little boats, and they're going to go back to England. And if you don't do that, I'm going to have my treasury secretary announce tomorrow morning that we're dumping all the British treasuries that we have. It's going to devalue your currency, and you're going to be in the biggest hole ever. And do you know what the prime minister of Great Britain said to Dwight Eisenhower? Yes, sir. Okay. Why? Because the borrower is always servant to the lender. Let me talk to you Americans for a minute. If at any point in the future, 10 years down the road, some country owns the lion's share of U.S. debt, which is not the case right now, but it's not inconceivable that in the year 2030, a Chinese prime minister could be calling the president of the United States and saying, Mr. President, you take your little Navy boat that's doing the whole international water thing in the South China Sea, and you take that boat back to Honolulu. Because if you don't, I'm going to have my treasury secretary tomorrow tell the whole world that we're dumping U.S. treasuries. And what's that going to do to the value of the dollar? Do you know what the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, will say at that point in time? Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay. Because it's always true that the borrower is servant to the lender. Are you catching this now? Okay. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about this another way. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip it back to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Solomon is saying this, My child, my child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger... If you've trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you've said, follow my advice. Save yourself, for you've placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Are you catching the urgency with which these words are written? Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. He's, he's made, you know, to secure the debt of another person is to expose yourself to tremendous risk, he's saying here. Don't do it. If you got caught and you said yes and you're thinking, oh, that was a dumb thing, go now, run, get out of it. You don't want to be securing debt in that way. You will be a slave to that person and at that person's mercy. Quickly run, okay? You need to hear in this passage the film, Forrest Gump, Run, Forrest, run, okay? And in this case, if you're a gazelle, do you know what comes after you? Cheetahs. Have you ever seen a cheetah run? No, they're too fast. All you see is a blur of spots. (laughs) And then, okay? So people at city, people who lend money regularly, hire one, these are cheetahs, (laughs) okay? So just keep that in mind. They're cheetahs. Now listen, I, as your pastor, I'm a sinful person. I'm broken. But you know what I want for you? I want you to be free. I want you to be free from worry. I want you to be free to do the things you want to do in life. I want you to be free to be generous. And if I want those things for you as a broken, sinful pastor, guess what? You have a heavenly father who wants that so much more. It's why Paul says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He puts it this way. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. He knows. 
when you're debt-free, you're free, okay? So again, I want to I wanna hit my bottom line again, if they'll put that back up here. Debt kills freedom. Lots of debt, little freedom. I want you to have lots of freedom. I do, okay? So I have a couple of questions. Which would you rather have, debt or freedom? It's a no-brainer, right? I'll take door number two, Monty. Yes, freedom. It's the better choice. That's what you want, okay? What would you be willing to do? Here's the harder question. What would you be willing to do to position yourself so that you're free? I want to draw out some practical things of application from this, okay? So if they'll put those up there. The very first thing, pray. You have the ability to approach a God who loves you and wants the best for you. God wants you to be free. Pray. There's a story tucked away in 1 Kings 4 about a widow whose husband borrowed a ton of money and then died on her. And the creditors were coming to take her sons. And God did something miraculous in her life. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 4. Pray. That's a good place to start. Pray and ask God to provide what you need today. Number two, sell. I love the way Dave Ramsey puts it when he says, sell so much the kids think they're next. If you haven't used it in a year, somebody else wants it. In our community, we're great about garage sale. There's the online Facebook, Jessamine County Yard Sale. Post a picture and then however many thousand people will see it. Somebody will bid something. Okay, sell. Step number three, another way you can do this is work. At this time of year, between now and And the end of the holidays, there are all kinds of extra job opportunities in in greater Lexington. Amazon is hiring. UPS is hiring. The Fayette Mall wants people to wrap Christmas gifts. If you're really good with scotch tape, there's an opportunity to pack away some bucks, okay? All right, so work. Uh, Number four, this is important. If you have so many debts that you have people calling you, and, and saying very nasty things to you. One, I'm sorry. They really shouldn't be allowed to harass you the way they do. But, you know, what's that saying everybody says when things aren't the way they're supposed to be? Well, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm like, no, let's change the way it is, okay? But anyway, all right, so if you've got people calling you and dogging you about debt, remember, food, clothing, shelter. You pay that mortgage. You pay that rent. You make sure you can get to work. You make sure that there's food on the table, It might mean that Discover or Student Loan doesn't get paid. When they call, you simply say to them, I'm sorry, I'm able to pay the first six things on the list and you're item number 12. I'm sorry, you're below the line. (laughs) What it would take to get above the line? Well, I'm working on it, but, you know, right now you're getting nothing. (laughs) And just be upfront about it, okay? But food, clothing, shelter come first. Last thing, number five, a debt snowball. If you're not familiar with how this works, uh, let, let me put up this next picture, okay? Here's the snowball of cash, and it's chasing the debt down the hill, all right? If you look at the top here, here's this person has one, two, three, four, five debts. The smallest one is 500. The largest one is 1,200. They have $200 a month that they can throw toward that debt. So they put the most amount of money on the smallest debt and they pay the minimums on the rest. And they keep doing that until the smallest debt is paid off. And then they take 
that and combine it with the next one. And then do you see how as the snowball gets down the hill, it becomes almost, it, it really gains momentum? I'm telling you that this is true. Remember my Citibank confession from earlier in the sermon? Put, put those numbers up there for a second. I hope, well, no, that's a little bit later on. That's a little bit later on. But debt snowball, debt snowball. So does this make sense? If it doesn't make sense, we have people in this congregation that will willingly sit down with you and help you figure out how to debt snowball. You can do this. It's doable. I've done it. Okay? Remember, debt kills freedom. Lots of debt, little freedom. Little debt, lots of freedom. And here's my caveat. If you don't have an emergency fund, forget everything I'm talking about today about debt. Your number one goal is to get, if you're single, $500 saved or $1,000 saved if you're married and you got a house, okay? So forget everything about debt today. Just focus on that emergency fund. Then you can worry about debt smoke, snowballing stuff. Why? Because you'll never make any progress with debt if you're not prepared for emergencies because emergencies happen, all right? So payday, oh, thank you, Lefty. Okay. Don't ever, please don't ever go to a payday loan to solve a problem. There are better ways. I'm telling you, there are some of us in this church, there are financial counselors. We will sit down with you. Payday loans are predators. To channel Jean-Luc Picard in the last movie they made, you know, when the Romulan warbird decloaks and Picard turns back to Worf and says, she's a predator, you know, because she's got like 59 phaser banks. Payday loans are predators. They're out to eat you for lunch, okay? So no bueno. I've lobbied extensively with my legislators, and I've not gotten very far because I don't give them money. But apparently the payday loan companies in Kentucky are giving them money. So maybe we'll change that. But don't go there, okay? So please, please, please avoid payday loans. All right, now I'm going to set my Bible down. I've talked to you about a spiritual principle. Uh, Debtors, borrowers are servants to lenders. So the wise thing in life is to be smart about debt and to avoid it and to pay it off when you have it, okay? That's the spiritual principle, and I've talked about practical application. I'm setting my Bible down because now I want to I give you advice. I want to be as practical as I can, and I've been asked a lot about these kind of things. So if we can go through my practical advice for you. So this is from your cousin Max or your uncle Max, depending upon our respective ages, <laughs> okay? All right, you can take this or leave this. Your decision. I want to talk to you parents. Your kids are, might go to college. They might get a car. Uh, they might buy a house. Think twice before you co-sign a loan for them. Okay? The reason I ask you to do that is because a lot of times when a bank is looking for a co-signer, what the bank is saying is, um, I don't think you can pay that back. I don't think you should be getting this loan. So if you're in the position of, Someone's asking you to co-sign. Your kids, your adult children are asking you to co-sign. Only make that commitment if you know, I can take on that debt, no problem. I can pay it off all at once, or I can take the payments on and pay it off, and it's no problem. No harm, no foul to my income. Okay? So just think twice. I can't tell you how many times, like, parents with student loans, uh, their kids will take a loan and they'll co-sign and then the kid doesn't get the job they think they're going to get, and then they get behind. Guess what? The student loan company comes to you, the co-signer, and says, now you get to pay, so pay up. Thank you. Okay? So think twice before co-signing a loan. Advice number two, 
If your adult kids need money and you have it, don't lend it to them. Just give it to them. Okay? Why? In two weeks, we're going to have Thanksgiving. I'm going to tell you something about Thanksgiving. When you are having Thanksgiving dinner with someone who owes you money, it tastes different. When you are at Thanksgiving dinner and you're eating dinner with someone you owe money to, it tastes different, okay? Don't mess that up. If you've got the means and the resources, just bless your kids, okay? So don't lend them money. Just give it to them. Advice number three. For those of you that got kids who are teenagers, by the time they're a junior or senior in high school, they should have their own account. Open a checking account for them. Make them start paying bills on their own. Um, we, do, we did this with our oldest, and Jillian's turn's coming up in another year or two, okay? And with John Mark, what I did was I simply gave him a year's worth of money of what I would normally give him, and I dumped it in the account, he, and I, he opened the account, and I said, okay, and this was like in August of 2014, I said, you cannot ask me for a dime for anything until June 2015. On your mark, get set, go, Okay? He did a great job. So, John, I'll call you out today. Great job, okay? He managed it well. And there were great conversations of, how do I balance my checkbook? You know, how does this work? And we got to talk about how money works and how you manage money and how you budget, okay? You don't want to send your kid off to college never having done these things, okay? So that's what I'm saying. But this is, again, practical advice. Practical advice item number four. And so I'm going to talk to you young people for a moment. If you get a credit card application, and one came in the mail the other day, it's addressed to John Vanderson. It's not you. It's, I don't know who Vanderson is. Is that my other son? But this, this one says, it's for college, for life. And on the back, it says, hey, your good grades could get you cash back. Okay? Oh, that's so cool. Discover card wants to help me out. Oh, my goodness. For college and beyond. Oh, they like me. Okay? So... When you get these kind of things in the mail, I want you to remember Admiral Akbar. That's the next picture. <laughs> Everyone say this with me. On your mark, get set, go. It's a trap. It's a trap. That's exactly right, okay? It's a trap. <laughs> okay? So when you see those things, just remember Admiral Akbar. It's a trap, okay? Last but not least, for those of you that are young and you're considering going to college, and, and they'll put this up here. Pre-decide if you're going to borrow for college, and if so, how much that's going to be, all right? You don't want to be in your sophomore year adjusting that amount up, up, up. You want to decide ahead of time, and it's going to vary. If you're going into medical school and you're going to be coming out making 120 grand a year, you may decide your debt ratio is higher than others. Some of you may decide that no debt at all for college is the way to go. But I'm simply telling you that you want to be wise about it. And it used to be the case that um, borrowing for college was what was called smart debt because you were borrowing against something that would increase in value because supposedly if you got a college degree, you'd be making more money over your lifetime. Now people are beginning to ask, is that really the case? Okay. So all I'm saying to you is pre-decide. In our family, we made a decision that that number was $15,000 total. So any kid going to college when they were done, the most they would owe is 15000 which we felt was like buying a cheesy car and you could pay it off in five years or less with almost any kind of job. 
but you're going to have to be, you're going to have to make those decisions, okay? So all I this is all in the realm of advice. You can take it or leave it. Hopefully maybe some of it helps. It, do you have my Citibank uh, picture? I actually go online now just to look at this because I enjoy looking at it. Doesn't this Come on, isn't this isn't this awesome? Look at this. Look at all those zeros. I love pulling this up. I just so I go on. Now Here's my cheat for you today. I actually had to call them and order a card because you know why this is zero? Every time they send me cards, they just go in the shredder and I use a debit card because I know that, you know, that's me and you may be you and you may be different. When I was younger, I had tremendous discipline with credit cards. I found that when I got middle-aged, my, my, my discipline wasn't as strong as it was when I was younger. All of us are different, but I just love, I can't wait for the day when I pull my PNC uh, uh, which is the, where I have my mortgage with, and it says that too. Like, we've never refinanced. So, like, a lot of people will do the whole... So, I still have my loan. It's, it's almost 5%, and people will say to me, you could be getting 3%, and I go, yeah, but I've got another year gone, another year gone. I'm watching that balance go down. I'm getting excited, okay? So, you know, that's what motivates me. I want you to be free, I mentioned my parents the first uh, message of this sermon series. My parents were paycheck poor. They were, okay? They lived paycheck to paycheck. We bought stinky old cars that were rusted out. Uh, my clothes were bought on credit cards from Sears and JCPenney's. Growing up, my mom and dad told me that. We made payments to JCPenney's until you went to college. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, dad. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry that I grew and needed clothes. <laughs> okay. But here's something magical happened for my parents. I grew up and moved out. My brother grew up and moved out. They paid off their home. And they, my parents were always a one-income family. My mom never worked outside the home. They hit this magical moment. I mean, and I want you to think about it, those of you that are married and have children. Imagine how much blow money you would have right now if all your kids were gone and cost you nothing and you had no student loans, no credit card debt, no house payment. How much blow money would you have in a month now? You'd get an instant raise. You'd be like, I hit the lottery. That's how my parents felt. It's why marriage satisfaction in America skyrockets when the last kid leaves the home. It's because all of a sudden you can go out to eat again. (laughs) <laughs> okay? So, so my parents, when they, they moved here in the year 2000, and when my dad moved here, he actually took a 45% cut in pay. Okay? But remember, no kids, no debt. In 2008, they were in Florida, and they were thinking, you know, we love Disney World. We love being in Florida. We hate staying in hotels. So they started looking at houses, and it was after the big crash of 08. And there were these $120,000, $130,000 homes that were going in the 60s and 70s. Well, there was a bank foreclosure on one, and my dad called the bank and said, I tell you what, I'll write a check today for $52,000, but it's only good, this offer is only good till 5 p.m. Later in the afternoon, the bank called and said, where can we meet you to sign the paperwork? <laughs> can we do this today? My dad wasn't rich, but they had they had freedom. I want you to imagine what life could be like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road if and when you reach a point 
where you don't owe anybody anything financially. Just imagine, like, you wouldn't even have to make a, a lot more money than you make right now. You would get an instant raise. It would be like, ah, here, have some money. Have some, I mean, you know, okay? That's what I want for you. Ironically, when you start doing finances the way God teaches in the Bible and the way Christians have done it for centuries, you actually end up better off financially, right? Right? 